to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, I want to spend some time in this episode, if not dedicate the entire episode here, to the Oxford, Michigan school shooting and the preliminary hearings of the Crumblies. Um, the parents, James and Jennifer Crumbly, are finished with their preliminary hearings, and now, according to the judge, they're going to be tried. Uh, for manslaughter, if I'm not mistaken. I want to describe, though, over the course of uh, apparently these two particular hearings that took place this last week at the end of the week, and I want to describe some of the things that I, that I watched and that I noticed and picked up on, including, I might add, the actual facts of the case and what actually took place with the counselor and the meeting with the parents inside of the school and all of it. So the preliminary hearing basically lasted hours and hours. Um, I want to say on day one, it was at least an hour, and then it was about an hour and a half on on day two. What's interesting about this is that the Oxford prosecutor, this McDonald gal, is remarkably unethical. And I'm going to bring up a few examples. One, one in particular, just to sort of get it out of the way, the Crumbly's lawyers were consistently objecting on a constant basis. I mean, there were times where they were standing up at the same time and both yelling objection you know, to the judge in unison. And, and all of their objections seemed beyond valid. Again, I'm a pretend lawyer. I'm not real. But I do have a PhD in education, and I do know exactly what's supposed to be going on within a school environment and how frequently the excuses will be made among employers and employees within a school environment to cover their own tracks and make sure that it looks like they did everything that they're supposed to do. Of course, what's interesting about trying a case that that isn't a case yet in the public eye, even before these preliminary hearings took place is that once these preliminary hearings take place and you start putting people on the stand to, to, in an attempt to make your case to have a trial or not have a trial, uh, you end up getting all of the juice and you end up getting all of the interesting facts out that would essentially attempt to lead to some kind of a conviction or a dismissal of charges. In my opinion, there is no way that the Crumbly parents should have been charged with anything let alone tried. Um, I'm, I'm going to start from the very beginning here regarding what, what went on within the school building itself, and then I'll work it right up to what actually took place within the actual hearing and some of the other little nuances, I suppose, that, uh, that basically occurred within the hearing. First of all, the day before the shooting, this would have been the first time that these counselors ever really had any face-to-face interaction with Ethan Crumbly. They didn't know this kid. Allegedly, he had no discipline problems whatsoever. He had no grade problems whatsoever. He was not an, uh, what I would refer to as a front office kid or an administrative kid or student, so to speak. He, he, was, not, he was not in trouble. He was not um, a regular face. None of that. He was just your average student, so to speak. Um, It was during that first day 
again, bef- the day before the shooting now, where these counselors first, where this one male counselor, and it's a male counselor, who came in contact with Ethan. And it had to do with an email that was sent to him. And then it was also, I believe, carbon copied to the Dean of Students and the Director of Restorative Practices by a teacher who was commenting on how Ethan was looking up bullets to purchase uh, online over his phone, over his cell phone. Now, keep in mind, that's not a crime. Doing that is not a crime. There are school employees that consistently use their cell phones and school computers to look up things that they want to buy. Sometimes it's a quote-unquote fireable offense. I know fireable is not a word, but it's, it's a fireable offense. Uh, there are plenty of other instances where it's completely allowed and no one seems to care. It's basically, are you using your, your what should be work time and your contracted work time and spending it doing something else that you could be doing in your free time when you're off the clock, so to speak. Again, some people have lost their jobs over that. A lot of school districts will, again, monitor what teachers are doing online, and they'll simply chalk it up in private. And, that, and they'll, they'll, keep, they'll basically surveil a school teacher or an aide or a secretary or an employee, and they'll, they'll surveil them without telling them and then they'll just keep track of what the person is looking up online. So as far as Ethan Crumbly was concerned, that's just a little sort of inside baseball and inside juice as to what goes on. As far as Ethan Crumbly was concerned, again, looking up bullets on, you know, bullets to purchase for a newly purchased gun online on your own cell phone in school, not a crime. Is Is it suspicious? Could be. Could be depending on the people around and, and their own frame of mind. Um, but when asked during the preliminary hearing, when the counselor was on the stand, they were asked by the defense lawyers of the parents, is this a disciplinary action? Looking up bullets online. He said yes. He thought that it was. But he deferred to the, to the dean of students by saying he as a counselor isn't the one who handles discipline. Here's the, here's the rub with that. The rub with that is, is that now we have already four school employees, a teacher, a restorative practices um, the, the director, who, again, is a, is a paid district administrator who's assigned to a building. And I've been over restorative practices in the past, but let me briefly describe it for for those that might be new to this. Restorative practices is another waste of time professional development strategy that gets brought into school buildings, uh, elementary, middle schools, and high schools all over the United States in an attempt to communize language so that they can avoid um, implementing discipline on, on a child, uh, refrain from suspending them, or even expelling them. It becomes this giant paperwork trail process that really no one wants to follow and no one wants to do because it's worthless. In fact, I proved it 
I prove that it's worthless in my own dissertation. The results of that dissertation clearly showed that practices like restorative practices are not conflict resolution and violence prevention strategies that work at all. In fact, teachers hate it. Administrators tend to not like it, even though they they will say they like it because they're administrators and they have to go along with district policy. And if they poo-poo district policy, well, they lose their job. Um, And students laugh at it because it's laughable. Uh, And again, many students don't understand bureaucracy, so they don't understand why it's in place in the first place. But most students can sniff out a, a bad policy a mile away. So with all of that said, the school teacher knew, the restorative practices person knew, the director of the building restorative practices person knew, the counselor knew, and the dean of students who was responsible for discipline knew. They all knew that Ethan Crumbly had looked up bullets online on his own cell phone. And what they did was is they received these email, uh, this email from the teacher, and they simply asked Ethan Crumbly about it. And he very calmly described how, yes, he, they purchased a gun with, with their parents. It was a gift. Um, of course, he's not old enough to own a pistol legally, so legally the gun is the parents. It's not, it's not Ethan's. And it was always in the possession of the parents. And there was no suspicion, apparently, at, the, at that day, on that first day, that Ethan had brought a gun to school. I don't know if Ethan had the gun um, in his backpack on that first day or not when he was looking up bullets on his cell phone. It's quite possible he didn't. It's quite possible that, again, it was just in the possession of his parents and it was in his parents' drawer where it had normally been, apparently, and, and that's, that's, you know, that's that. The point is, is that at no point on day one, after a calm conversation with Ethan Crumbly, did anybody think to search his backpack where they might have found what came out in the preliminary hearing as being Ethan Crumbly's journal? He apparently had a personal journal that even the parents were unaware of. But Ethan Crumbly again was writing in this journal about his parents' perspectives on him um, or his feelings about his parents and back and forth. Same thing with the fact that their family dog had died, his grandmother had died, one of his friends moved away because of the COVID bullshit, um, all of it. And all of this, of course, was taking a massive toll on Ethan Crumbly, not to mention everybody in these courtrooms is masked. That needs to, you know, that has to be mentioned. The mask is a demoralizing slave mentality device. And when it's been forced on all of these students, it's cracking their mind. And that's the point. The point of the mask and those who, who implemented it from the most evil throughout the world at the top all the way down, they are doing this to demoralize people and destroy them psychologically. So that, that has to be taken into account here. Um, so that was the, basically the end of the first day. No action was taken. Nothing, nothing was done. There was a note about it. There was no discipline. Uh, nothing. Even though, again, the counselor admitted on the stand, under oath, that looking up bullets broke school policy. But there was no discipline that was taken. His, his 
backpack was not searched. His person was not searched. Nothing was searched. They all just sort of met together. They all agreed that Ethan seemed calm, and it was a rational story that he was telling about, again, recently purchasing a gun, shooting it at a range, looking up different bullets to buy, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. Again, none of that's a crime. But based on the school policy, apparently looking up bullets on online is, is something that's not supposed to be done. God knows how they make that determination. Um, I don't even think that that's, I don't even think that that's real. But either way, they didn't follow through with any discipline if they were supposed to. They didn't search Ethan. That's the point with day one. That kind of closes what happened in the school on day one. Um, I'm having a hard time recalling as to whether or not the parents were contacted because of what Ethan was looking up online. I think he, I think he, I think they were, and that's where the mom's text message came in, where Ethan e- uh, text messaged his mom and said, "I was in the office because I was looking up bullets online to purchase for our gun," and the mom texted back. You know, don't get caught next time, something like that, or you need to be more careful next time. Something. It, it's irrelevant. It's it's irrelevant. It has nothing. It has nothing to it, because again, it's not a crime. Looking up something online is is not a crime. It paints a picture in the eyes of a prosecutor who is trying to prosecute people for something that they're not guilty of doing. It looks bad in the. It looks bad in in the public in the public court, so to speak, in the court of public opinion, but it's not, it's not against the law. So that was day one. Um, I don't believe, again, that any phone call or message or anything of that nature was made to, to the parents by the school's administration, whether that, again, be the counselor, the teacher, the dean of students, or the um, restorative practices director. On top of that, again, Ethan was just sent back to class, and that was the end of it. On day two, the day of the shooting, what happened first was is a, uh, a school teacher where Ethan was, math, a math teacher, I believe, had made an email request again stating that Ethan's math homework had a gun written on it along with things like, I'm going to hurt people or my life is worthless and a couple other things that he had said. Um, once that was made, approximately 20 or 50 minutes later, the same male counselor came down to the room where Ethan was and asked Ethan to come with him, and he did. My recollection is that his bag was left in the classroom. So the journal, apparently, and the gun the loaded gun, were in that backpack, still in the classroom. Uh, But the counselor took his math homework, which was on his desk, and had now been edited and sort of scratched out uh, by Ethan during this entire time. So the counselor leaves the classroom with Ethan and with the homework but not the backpack. The backpack stayed in the classroom until, of course, someone was told to go get the backpack because classes were changing and they wanted to make sure that Ethan had his backpack back. 
So I believe it was the dean of students who went and got his backpack from the classroom and then brought it to the counselor. Again, even even while possessing that homework, at no point did anybody check his backpack. Even with the drawing of the gun and saying all the things that he was saying on this homework, on this worksheet, no one thought to even look through the bag. No one even thought to pat him down and pat down his person and see if he was he was armed with anything. Uh, this is the most head-scratching part of the entire thing, which I said from the very start. Um, so here's what happened next with the counselor and, and the parents. What happened next was, and again, all of this is coming out in the preliminary hearing with a counselor on the stand. And this counselor was on the stand for an hour and 22 minutes, give or take. Being questioned by both sides, cross-examined, re-examined, you name it. Um, Then what ended up happening is the counselor made a call to the mom and asked Ethan, who again was very calm for the most part during the questioning of the homework and said, you know, it it just was what it was. And then he got kind of sad apparently. And then he said, you know, my dog died and my grandma died or my gra- one of my grandparents died and my friend moved away and, you know, whatever else. And then he asked whether or not he thought he was a harm to himself or somebody else. And he said no. And then the counselor basically told him that he wanted to talk to, you know, Ethan the very next day and make sure that he was okay. And he told Ethan on a couple of times, you know, he's not alone and that he's, you know, he cares about him and whatever else. Um, which is fine. It's a way to de-escalate a situation, I suppose, but you'd better pat a person down and check their belongings, in particular after they draw a gun and say that they're going to harm themselves or other people. You know, this is, or that their life is worthless or whatever. Again, he said, that's, that's the biggest red flag. And that's the, that's the step that was not made here. That was the life altering step. These trials wouldn't even be taking place if they'd have just searched him, but they didn't. No one did. Not even a school resource officer, which again, Jesse James stated that apparently the resource officer had been called away to go check on a suspicious suspicious vehicle at the middle school. So he was off the premises of the high school as the actual shooting took place. Um, And apparently before the shooting, although I'm sure that'll come out in the actual trial where the resource officer was, that's, that's again a question I would ask. What was the exact time that the resource officer got the call? What was the exact time that the resource officer left? Where was Crumbly during this entire time, XYZ? So the counselor then asked Ethan Crumbly about whether or not which parent to contact and who would be the easiest to contact. And he said, the mother probably. Um, So the mother works approximately an hour away. and. A message was left by the counselor on the mom's phone. The mom then called back uh, moments later after listening to the message, apparently, and said that they could get there in about 30 minutes. They did, and the mother tried to contact the husband, where again the husband was ultimately contacted and said he could get there also. Both parents showed up. They walked in. They were sitting in the room with their son and the male counselor. Uh, they described the situation to the parents. The parents didn't didn't think either 
to look into the, the school bag of Ethan or even pat Ethan down to see if he was armed with a gun, their gun, or another gun, or another weapon of any kind. Um, again, I'm not sure that's a crime. For the parents to not think to pat down their own son and look through their own bag. Uh, but what ended up happening, and this is where the big lie really occurred, is before all of these preliminary hearings, right after the shooting, the story in the media from the prosecutor even was that the counselor tried to get the parents to take Ethan home, and the parents refused. That didn't happen. All of that was a lie. What happened was, is the entire situation was explained to the parents. The parents were given resources to have their son psychologically evaluated, which according to the counselor was something that needed to happen. And yes, it's something that needed to happen. They stated, of course, that because they both work, they didn't have the time to do that today, which is what the counselor suggested. So the counselor then suggested, after again giving them written resources, which by the way, it's just, it's basically a packet of information, or sometimes it's just one piece of paper that's handed to the parent or parents or guardians or whoever it is that's responsible legally for the child of just names of psychiatrists or psychologists or um, social workers or counselors that are, that, are, that are local that deal with these kinds of things. Um, the pa- the parents took the paper, and then they all ended up leaving. At no point were the parents told that their son was going to be disciplined for what he was doing. There was no indication that there was going to be any discipline for what he had written on the paper. He was not going to be in in-school suspension. He was not being given after-school detention or whatever other discipline policies they have in place. None of that was none of that was verbalized, said, or was going to happen. They flat out sent the kid back to class with his backpack, having not um, searched it or even searching him. None of this took place. It didn't take place with the counselor, the dean, the restorative practices person. It didn't take place with a person who has a badge and a gun, a resource officer. None of that took place. And not to not to wrap up so quick but that's that's basically it the parents left with the resources on paper um they claimed that they would do what they could apparently and then ethan went back to class they just let him go back to class and the counselor said to him when he sent him back to his next class he said i care about you something and then that was it and then the shooting took place after that, the same day. So, again, legally in watching the, the uh, preliminary hearing, the prosecutor is, again, remarkably unethical. They are trying to try this entire thing right now as much as they can. And the defense lawyers are consistently objecting to every single thing or motion or question um, that, that's being asked from the prosecutor. Not every single question, but certainly plenty of them. And, um, and that's, a, I mean, that's really about it. I, I, 
I mean, the motives behind this are remarkably awful. It's evident that even the prosecutor to this day, after the preliminary hearings, when they said that the judge has has ordered the trial to actually stand and, and an actual trial to take place with the crumbly parents, even in the little press briefing afterwards, the the prosecutor was saying maybe there need to be you know stricter gun measures that take place uh the you know basically saying that well the gun wasn't locked and it wasn't properly kept and blah 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 the fact is is there's no state law in Michigan that says you have to lock your gun in your house um and again why would parents who knew that their that their child was going to shoot up the building willfully buy him a gun and go target shooting with him days before why would they do that? Maybe they, again, were, were doing what a lot of parents do, which is gauging the interests of the child, of their child, and then saying, well, let's, let's find something that we can bond over. Some people do it with board games. Some people do it with target shooting. Some people do it with hunting. Some people do it with walking a dog down the street. It's a thousand different things. But the prosecutor was doing their best. And I mean, they just. It, their entire tone and their entire demeanor is really not good. I mean, they are fishing for, for evidence as much as they can to, to place this on the parents. There's nothing here regarding the parents. Absolutely nothing. I hope that in the trial of the parents, the parents take the stand. I hope that they do. Because they aren't guilty of anything. I mean, they're going to be grilled by the prosecution and be painted to be negligent parents, which it's possible that they were. But even so, um, and, and, wh- and while that may have led to the child's frame of mind over the course of time, the parents didn't pull the trigger. And the number of people in the school who saw what was going on with Ethan in a very short amount of time, which is really the, the real red flag. When you start to see a dramatic pattern of behavior in a child when you wouldn't have normally in the past, that's the biggest red flag, is a quick change in behavior. I mean, they went from not knowing this kid to all of the sudden, well, we've seen this kid now twice in two days, and it has to do with guns and bullets. Looking up bullets and drawing guns on a a piece of paper. Now, it's school, and we draw all kinds of funny things. I mean, my brother, you know, was a great artist and would draw awesome things all the time, very hilarious things. Um, teachers peeing in their classrooms. I mean, he would draw some, some really funny stuff that by today's standards would get him expelled, I'm sure. Or, per- <laughs> frankly, perhaps not, because it would just show, um, you know, they would just do whatever they had to do to implement their restorative practices policies. And all that would do is, you know, give him more opportunities to draw teachers doing funny things. Uh, you know, much like the the Calvin stickers that were on the backs of automobiles back in the 90s of, you know, Calvin peeing on a logo of an, another automobile or something. I mean, it was that kind of stuff that was just hilarious, but, you know, I don't know. We all enjoyed it, and it was funny. And we would do it, again, with the teachers that we didn't like the most, which was kind of a common thing. But it was a joke. Um, this was more serious. And and again, it was the it was the well, it's in loco parentis again, in lieu of parent. 
the school officials have the re- have the legal responsibility to do what they're supposed to do. And apparently, again, in no step throughout this entire thing did a single person who works in that building, the teacher, again, restorative practices director, dean of students who's responsible for discipline, and the counselor ever think to search the kid's bag. Um, that, that was the deadliest mistake of all. So this business, again, the biggest lie that came out of all of this was that the school tried to, tried to get the crumbly parents to take their kid out of the building. And, and the crumbly parents refused. And then they just stormed out and left and said, you're keeping our kid here. We're not taking him home. All of that's bullshit. All of that was a giant lie to, to try to deflect from the responsibility that the school has. And again, they just sent the kids straight back to class. One of the interesting things was, too, is the defense lawyers basically stated, hey, in previous cases, when you've had, quote unquote, students that you think are suicidal or might harm themselves or other people, and even in that right question right there, that's when the prosecution stood up and objected. Now think about that. Why would the prosecution stand up and object? To, to a question like that, because what the defense lawyers were doing, and it was completely logical and totally legally ethical, is they're trying to gauge the past, the past practices or procedures of these counselors during moments like this. And they would say, are there instances in the past where you have suspended a student or even expelled them? for this kind of behavior or discipline them for this kind of behavior. And the counselor just kept saying, I don't handle discipline. I don't, I don't handle discipline. See, the, this entire trial is going to look real bad for the entire school. It's going to look horrible for the people who work within because they're going to put the dean of students up on the stand and they're going to question him and they're going to grill the ever-living hell out of him and say, so. Is this a part of your policy to allow all of this to take place and not search the kid and and not get a resource officer involved and not suspend him and remove him from the school building and just send him back to class? Is that really the, the policy? And here's the thing I want anybody listening to this to understand. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, is that it's becoming the policy. It's becoming the policy to never discipline students for their um illegal or suspicious behavior, or even school-related rule-breaking behavior. That's why these environments are dangerous. That's why these environments are becoming more dangerous. It's the very Marxist policies themselves, like restorative practices, which again was developed by an Australian judge to reacclimate hardened felons back into society. By getting them to um, recom- uh, well, I would say recognize their previous mistakes, quote unquote, and accept responsibility for their ill actions. And then if anybody out in society asks, they say, yes, I made a mistake. And there's a giant script that they have to basically read. They're trying to implement that in schools all across America, and they've been doing it now for I'd say at least the last eight years. It's a massive problem. 
But all of these policies and all of these people who are supposed to be doing all of these things are not doing them. They should all be fired. I don't even know if these people are still employed in these school buildings, but they should all be fired. And frankly, they're the ones that should be tried for negligence, at the very least, in child endangerment. And these are crimes. But again, the prosecutor at the end clearly stated that her office was not going to be bringing any criminal charges against any school employees. And that right there should tell you all you need to know about the state of affairs with American schools and our entire legal system. With that said, however, just because it happens like this one place doesn't mean it happens like this everywhere. That would be mathematically impossible. You know, the story I brought up last week, um, I believe it was last week, of the Texas principal and coaches who were knowledgeable of um, students on a sports team initiating or hazing a, a new student by beating him with a baseball bat. Uh, they all lost their jobs and are all being criminally charged to the fullest extent, and they should. It's child endangerment. It's failure to report abuse. All of these things are, are a crime. Um, there was no indication, again, that Ethan Crumbly was being abused by his parents. Um, again, neglect. From time to time, I guess, sure. You know, they would they would go drinking at a bar a few days a week, which is, you know, not a good habit, but they would do that and they would leave Ethan at home. Well, Ethan was old enough to stay home and is that, uh, you know, a, a good parental practice to to go to a bar on a on, you know, on a school night and leave your child home? Of course not. But that's not a that's not illegal. It's just not illegal. Does it hurt people's feelings? Does it look bad? Yes. Is it responsible? No. Is it illegal? See, that's a, that's a completely different matter. And the answer is no, it's not. It's not illegal. Um, yeah, that's my breakdown of the preliminary hearings right there. That's it. This trial is going to expose the entire school district. That's what the prosecutor doesn't seem to understand, but you have to understand this entire thing is, is a charade. The prosecutor is a probably a Soros bought-off prosecutor. We know that the entire state is bought off by Soros, including the uh, in, including Governor Whitmer. This goes from the again. This stretches from the governor's mansion all the way down the judicial system and right into this prosecutor's office. Um, the entire thing is dirty. The entire thing is unethical, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens going forward because again. The negligence is going to be lying right in the lap of the school employees and what they did and did not do. What I also hope they do is I hope that the defense lawyers put the school principal on the stand because there's still the longstanding rumor that the school principal had students coming to him, warning him about Ethan Crumbly and what Ethan was saying online days, if not weeks, in advance. And the school principal was doing nothing about it. This is going to make it look like, again, the school officials were responsible for negligence in this matter, not the parents. And the, and the disconnect that, that needs to be made here, and then I'll, I'll end this, the disconnect that needs to be made is that it is very common and well within the bounds 
of parents to not know the behavior of their child within a school building. And it's also within the bounds and, and within the realm of realism for the school employees to not know the behavior of the child inside of the home of the parents, vice versa, X, Y, Z, any way you want to slice that up. The lack of communication that takes place between high school employees and high schools and high school students' parents is notorious. It's absolutely notorious. You are likely to have more parent conferences at the elementary and middle school levels of schooling than you are high school. You really only have a high school conference with parents when the proverbial shit has hit the fan, or there are numerous red flags, like in this particular case. Again, the Crumbly parents had never even really entered the school building uh, regarding anything having to do with Ethan whatsoever. And like I said at the beginning of this, even the counselor testified Ethan was not on anybody's radar for anything at all whatsoever. The kid had perfect attendance uh, the year before. He only missed, or practically, he only missed one day. Again, that wouldn't come on anybody's radar. Why would it come on the parents? So for school officials to to think that they could blame parents for this um, is, is frankly in line with the way that school officials behave. They're always looking to blame parents. And parents, as you might expect, are also willing and always looking to blame school officials for not telling them particular things or not, not alerting them to particular things you know, in, in a certain matter of time. Um, I've been in those parent conferences before. Over the course of my nine-year career when I was a school teacher, I, I sat in those parent conferences as I'm rubbing my scalp profusely right now. But um, it just, you know, it's mind-numbing. You, you sit in these conferences and it's evident that, it's, that parents don't seem to understand that children can behave in two completely separate ways, in two completely separate environments. And again, it's, it's unfortunate, but many, and it's stupid, frankly, but many school officials don't know that either. Many school counselors are worthless. They're just worthless. They don't understand that students behave two completely different ways in two completely different environments. Sometimes they, they're more angry in a school environment, and in many cases they are. But the exact opposite is true also. Many students will behave um, more freely, we'll say, in a school environment as opposed to their home environment. Because they don't like their home environment, and they come to the school and they act out, so to speak. I'm using that in finger quotes. They act out. Uh, that, you know, that happens too. So the point is, and again, I really, I, I'm really going to close now. Uh, the point is, is that this entire thing is a giant fraudulent trial. Um, and all it's going to do, and the prosecutor is really grasping at straws, and it really looks pathetic. But if the defense knows what they're doing, clearly the prosecution is trying to blame the parents. And the, what, the, what the defense is going to do is, is they're going to do whatever they have to do to defend the parents by blaming the school. It's inevitable be, in this entire case because the school officials are going to be the only ones sitting on the stand for the most part, unless, of course, 
the parents are called to the stand. And even if they are, the parents are going to be saying, the school never contacted us on day one. They didn't contact us. Um, Ethan contacted us over text message, but we didn't think it was that big of a deal. And they never said anything. They, they, you know, the school officials never said what they did with Ethan. And then on day two, when everything took place, um, they didn't say they were going to discipline Ethan. No one checked Ethan's bags. We didn't think to check his bags. No one, no one did. We had no idea he was capable of that. And then they'll try to pin his journal on them also. But keep in mind, no one knew the kid had this journal. The parents didn't know, and the school employees didn't know. So while the, while the crumbly parents are sitting there in shackles, wearing a mask and having a hard time breathing, um, the school officials are sitting on the stand trying to make it look like they weren't responsible for anything. And it's beyond evident that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't even follow their own policy. And believe me, their policies that they have to follow are a mile long. This is also one of the reasons why they don't follow their own policy, because there's too many policies to follow. They don't even know the laws that they're supposed to follow, for God's sake. So, you know, there's that element as well. Okay, I will uh, continue to watch this, you know, from a distance as best I can um, and keep people updated as to what's going on, because, again, it's continuing to expose how awful these school environments are and how negligent the people who work within these environments truly are. So with that said, everybody, um, I will be on the Quite Frankly podcast on quitefrankly.tv at 7 p.m. on Tuesday evening. Feel free and check that out if you're interested, and uh, I'll catch you then. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.